Hi, my name is Gilad. Hi, my name is Simon. And welcome to Shot of Cyber, a new cybersecurity podcast where we talk to researchers, engineers, business leaders around a cup of coffee. We have an open and honest conversation about their jobs, projects, security issues, ideas, and insights. Conversations are unstructured and meant to replicate the informality and freedom we used to enjoy with a friend around a cup of coffee in between meetings, waiting for a flight, or at conferences. There are only a few rules, no self-promotion, no corporate plugins, and no breach of confidentiality. Work-related anecdotes must be anonymized. We let conversations flow as per a live recording, but edit to remove repetition, language ticks, and protect confidential information. Thank you and enjoy. Simon, today we are hosting a very good friend of ours who is uh, uh, working in security for ar around uh, 20 years and currently uh, heading the security department in a big corporation. So I'd like to introduce you to Tony Clark. Tony, how are you? I'm good. I'm delighted to be here and I'm really looking forward to this podcast and your tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> we are excited to have you here. Um, let me let me begin with uh, hard questions. So although technology enhances organizations' capability to automate monitoring and data orchestration, and it's made uh, major advancements in the last 10 years, we're still struggling with you know huge amounts of data and sometimes missed the, the core issues, uh, risks, and threats in our in, in our networks. What do you think of this problem of data flood? if I may say this way, from your expertise? Yeah, I think, so there's probably a few different ways to, to think about it, or I, I think about it. So one is kind of operationally and, you know, how, how do people find that needle in a haystack or, or kind of orientate themselves to, to what's important and what's a, what's a key threat? But then there's also kind of, you know, I think this problem this challenge is more broadly in society as well right around just consumption of data and how not just how it's consumed and you know the amount of data that's thrown at people but but also their literacy levels and their ability to actually understand data you know i kind of constantly think about that phrase of there's lies bloody lies and then there's statistics you know and there's people and you kind of see it i suppose that in a social perspective as well how people can kind of use data to to almost mean anything or to support any argument and I think sometimes that comes true in security teams as well so I've seen you know everything from you know um, somebody looking at network traffic and declaring a trend just based on one or two kind of data points and saying you know the volume is uh, is massively increased and you know we're seeing more scanning from uh, Iran or, or 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 some other country uh, right through to people genuinely you know in a security operations sense being overwhelmed with the amount of data and and how to digest it and consume it and you know maybe focusing on the benign versus something more important so I, I do think it's a it's a real challenge but I don't think technology is necessarily always part of the problem there I, I do think there there are ways and there are there are um solutions that and, and processes that can help kind of 
peel back some of those layers. But I also think, you know, like most things, you kind of have to begin with the end in mind and really understand what is it that you want to kind of, what are the key threats? What are the, the, the things that you want your security team to focus on versus what are the run-of-the-mill benign things that, you know, you can maybe use automation or IPS or other solutions to, to kind of handle. And I also think as well that, that that's part of the, the challenge in security is, is not just kind of identifying and, you know, responding and protecting against those threats. It's also telling that story to the rest of the organization and and using that data to explain why maybe this is a new threat or maybe this is a new threat actor. Um, you know, v- very often the emphasis is, is just on the kind of contain eradicate piece. But I think it's important for security teams to use that information to go back to the organization and to communicate and to to have other people in the organization advocate for security and support security and for them to understand that the the security function is a critical function and um, data is part of delivering that message as well. That's very interesting. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, very interesting. I, I just had a follow up actually to, to that. Where do you think that obsession with uh, with data and, and metrics uh, comes from? And and do you think it sometimes distract people from less easily quantifiable uh, uh, solutions and and more common sense approaches to to security? Yeah, so th- that's a good question. So again, I think there's probably a few ways to answer that. So personally, I don't feel so. So I would I would draw a delineation between analytics and metrics, right? So I don't think always focusing on a number um, or a threshold is is necessarily a healthy thing to do for a few different reasons. Sometimes it incentivizes people. People to, to hit that threshold no matter what and they'll they'll use different mechanisms you know reduce the scope or, or broaden out the scope or or you know focus on a, a narrow process to, to kind of hit that target um, and and I don't think that's always helpful and and also sometimes the metric you know cause people to lose sight of things because they're interested in just focusing on that metric as opposed to you know the whole security program um, and they're focused on say reducing incidents as opposed to necessarily all the other aspects of security that that they should be focused on but i do think analytics has a has a key part to play and and probably an increasingly key part to play in security organizations to to really use data to provide insights uh, that actually you know maybe are reflective of a control or in, or insightful um or show that a control might be failing or or not up to par or that you know a, a particular uh, style of attack or t- attack type has become more prevalent or more frequent and that's maybe where the emphasis of a of a the security program should should change so there's a delineation between metrics and analytics that, and people people I work with they tend to use that synonymously and you know they 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 mean they use it in a way that means the same thing when it really doesn't and it's not helpful to kind of confuse those two things i want to maybe connect to simon's question and add something from my end so does it also have an an impact over the the way that you need to kind of define your threat intelligence program the cti program and the way that you recruit people because at the end of the day you need people to make this analysis you need people to cope with this big data and you need uh, good people smart people to be able to analyze it and get from the data you know definition meaning uh, insights and so on 
I definitely agree with that. Um, but uh, at times, I think the emphasis is too much on the, you know, the engineering side of things, you know, so if we enrich our data or if we bring multiple data sets uh, or data repositories together, we'll get better insights. And, and sometimes that's true and, and sometimes it is needed, but I don't think there's enough emphasis on okay, what will we do after that? So if we get those insights, do we keep them in the security team? Do we work with security uh, engineering to fix a problem or architecture to introduce a new capability to prevent those threats? Do we socialize them within the organization? So I think the enrichment and the bringing of um, sources together is important, but I, I, I don't think, um, you know, I think you still need those smart people to, to understand how to really utilize that and how to get that impact within an organization. So, so one of the things that I've seen a, a number of times is um, is kind of threat intel platforms. Like, so tips people that I've spoken with have decided to invest in them, and and they really like the idea of bringing intelligence together into one place where they can look at campaigns or threat actors and have all those sources of information in one place. But I often ask them, like, what are you going to do after that? What what are you going to do with that information? And I've never heard an answer beyond, well, we're not sure yet. We're going to address that when we when we kind of move further down the line and we bring you know these other sources of information together. And and I think that's when it is a mistake opportunity because I personally I'd rather work backwards and kind of understand if we get to position A what know what you want to do with that information and know how you're going to kind of utilize that effectively within an organization. I think you're in a better state than trying to to kind of look at the technology and use the technology in a in a limited way. I couldn't agree more having uh, worked in the space a little bit. People are paying uh, sometimes a lot of money for for answers to questions they've never asked. <laughs> they've never asked themselves, okay, what, what decision am I trying to support with, uh, with that data? And uh, it, it becomes a distraction more than anything in the end. I totally agree. And I think people put a lot of work and, you know, I've seen people put a, a lot of effort into solutions and then kind of arrive at a stage where like, okay, now we need to start using it. And they're, they're just not sure about how to, how to move forward then, you know? They didn't have that vision in the in the first instance, and I think that's a that's a that's a missed opportunity. It's a it's a great point, and I think that we've all experienced it from both you know vendor and customer perspectives being uh, offered with lots of uh, products, and at the end of the day, you need to utilize them and make the best out of them. Uh, however, when you are managing a team or a department where the the intent the aim is to defend on the perimeter on the the company's environment i think that it's tempting to get more more information isn't it you you are always in the look for the best technology you're always in the look for more information and, and context still i'm trying to understand from a manager's perspective how do you even define the limits or the the scope that you're in, in a need to to cope with? How do you understand what is the, the needed information, the required information? And sometimes, you know, these are these are completely other products or other sources of, of information are less of a need for you. Like, how do you even determine that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point, and and I. I'd add in the the other dynamic of the external world and particularly, you know, attacks and uh, different styles of attacks changing constantly on top of that. So it's really tempting to think, you know, if you brought DNS logs in and other types of logs in that you're going to 
get more insights. I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's a there's a kind of an easy answer. Uh, I do agree that um, it can be really hard when you kind of look at that ecosystem of vendors, right? Because there's always something that has a promise, right? It doesn't necessarily deliver, but it, there's always a, a good sales pitch. There's always good marketing that supports it. There's always something that would, you know, if you believed everything that has been said about the solution, it's going to move you forward. Um, but I still, you know, personally kind of come back to working in forums where security folks are and where threat intelligence people are and kind of using those to kind of get a sense and sometimes it's just a, a gut feel about what are the threats that you're likely to see what are people responding to and and kind of coming back to basics to make sure your threat intelligence function and your security solutions are capable of those because i think there's always something that's left field that will come up like one, one of the things that i constantly think about is uh, any organization's security strategy right so two years ago if you were defining a security strategy you know and, and particularly if you were saying healthcare there was no way you were going to foresee the pandemic there was no way you were going to see foresee the multitudes of threat actors and nation states focusing on organizations looking for or working on a COVID-19 vaccine so I think your solution and your team and your mindset is really important that you're able to pivot and adapt and and adapt to what's happening you know externally and sometimes internally as well as organizations change but I don't think there's any kind of real panic see or, or I, you know I wouldn't think that any organization or any security leader or security function would put their hands up and say yeah I've got that nailed we're 100% where we want to be we're exactly you know we have all the solutions capabilities skill sets on the team that we need and we're fine Oh, that's 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 very insightful. Thank you. I I, I mean, listening listening to you to to the point you made earlier around the uh, um, obsession for for metrics at times or uh, the wrong incentives uh, coming as a result sometime within within a security team or within an organization. I I can't help but think about the effect this has, and I don't know. I mean, it's more it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, so I don't know which come first. But I feel like there are wrong incentives on the vendor side as well. To either satisfy those expectations on the uh, uh, on the client side, or to uh, uh, to simply come up with, with products that that make for for pretty dashboards, pretty visualization, uh, uh, and uh, reinforce this this need for 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 measurements, this obsession with measurements. Do do you feel like there is something wrong currently with efficacy and and with incentives uh, uh, within cybersecurity, both on the internal security uh, um, side of, of an organization as well on as on the, the technology side or the service side with vendors? Yeah, it's a good point. I certainly cannot oscillate between those two positions. So I think everybody's been in a scenario where you know they have found and, and have gotten and received good value from solutions. And you know, they've had parts of their you know security team working really, really effectively. And and when you're in that stage, things are great and you, you're kind of you know trying to limit the amount of changes and everything else. But in the other parts, like there's some problems in security that I'm not sure will ever really be fully solved. <laughs> You know, the, the likes of um, an organization, we'll say, with multiple data centers and, you know, with, with cloud environments as well. Vulnerability management is just a hard problem. You know, having more data or, you know, moving between vulnerability management solutions isn't really going to help you, even if they detect vulnerabilities better than the previous solution. Finding 
problems, I think, in security is never really an issue. You know, there's, it's, it's always easy to find a problem. It's always easy to find a vulnerability. It's always easy to find a misconfiguration. Um, it's easy, you know, well, not easy, but relatively easier to find, you know, more information about attacks than it is to work within an organization and to work across multiple boundaries and teams to, to actually address those issues. I think that's where the, the big challenges are. And, and that's probably what hasn't been incentivized as well in organizations. People will define goals and objectives at the start of a year, and it'll be, you know, to deliver various things that they agree with their managers. But you'll still have a 20, 30 year old problem of vulnerability management, you know, working in a fairly lackluster way in most organizations. Aside from phishing, you'll still see a large proportion of attacks not using zero days. They'll still be using fairly addressable vulnerabilities on the perimeter that could have been addressed if teams were able to work in an efficient way, respecting that every organization is going to have different dynamics and work in different verticals. And it's not always as simple as, you know, patching a vulnerability when it comes out. But at the same time, I, I haven't seen too many organizations that were very effective um, across, you know, security, IT operations, you know, anyone else, any other stakeholders that that are in the mix there. Um, I've always seen kind of challenges with that. And that that's not, that's a decades old problem now. It sounds like the best technology that one can today invent would be to kind of prioritize between the different problems and issues that one, that like a security organization needs to handle, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter how many uh, issues we've handled successfully. We just be proven that uh, a serious cyber attack can also happen via supply chain with a legitimate, legitimate installation or an upgrade of a legitimate uh, program. Yeah, I agree. Like, I often think that working in an in-house security role is probably one of the hardest roles you can have in, in security because when you're in consultancy, it's easy to go into an organization and find the problems, deliver the report and a plan to address them. But, you know, in an in-house role, there are so many areas and you know avenues of attack uh particularly like you mentioned uh you know it's one thing i think to assess your vendors that are in your supply chain and, and make sure that you know if if you're giving them sensitive information that they're going to treat it securely and they have controls around it it's very different then to kind of start thinking about every piece of software that you use or every integration to a third party that you have and to think about the risks that that might pose if legitimate access was compromised in some way i think that's a that's a that's a pretty mammoth task and you know if there was a solution that that helped risk assess and prioritize and you know that that CISOs could use to help orientate your team i think that would be a solution that most security teams would want to have I would agree. And I, I, I've never seen, I haven't seen anyone, I mean, maybe people are working on it, but um, I'd say in the private sector on the vendor side, uh, worrying about about this in, um, in greater detail. But I know there are, and I've met a few academics who are thinking about uh, using statistical models um, and and working on those through you know using machine learning to, to come to, to gain some, some insights to help people make predictions as to what is most likely to happen uh, given a specific uh, a specific infrastructure what, what is uh, uh, what should be prioritized uh, in terms of uh, cyber defense and uh, it's it's going to take years of course and uh, I don't think there's ever going to be a point where people are 
satisfied with the result. But um, have you encountered anyone who's seriously thinking about this question? No, it's interesting. I mean, you know, in some respects, it's it's kind of um, it doesn't make sense, right? Because we have lots more information. We know how attacks are occurring. You know, most organizations now have a reasonably good idea of their digital footprint, what assets they have, where they are, what state they're in of, you know, whether they're fully patched, not patched, etc. And even people, you know, they have a good idea of the, the security culture within an organization. They've trained people. They have a good idea of styles of phishing attacks, what's likely, what the click rates are, etc. But still, you know incidents tend to be a surprise right and, and they come from that field and you know there might be teams where uh, you know one month you're responding to more phishing incidents uh, the next month you're dealing with more threats from the internet um, but it's it still is you know I'd say in kind of that reactive state and and you know there's things that happen there as well like I remember in 2016 you know crypto jacking just exploding right and that that being everywhere and seemed to be on every page you know and that's that was very difficult to to know right if you hadn't been following digital currencies very uh very tightly you know and to to, to know that people would start just monetizing that as much as possible and same with myray and other things when when they, those botnets kind of exploded you know they they were kind of a bit of a surprise for most people. Tony, maybe tell our listeners and me particularly who haven't been a chief security officer ever ever in my life uh, yet up till this point. So maybe tell us how does it work in terms of, you know, we've discussed many threats so far and it sounds to me like the threats are evolving so fast and there are so many issues to cope with. But on the other hand, we are working in big companies, sometimes in big corporate that are moving slowly, have lots of bureaucracy. It sounds like most of these places are not so flexible, dynamic and agile. How do you address that? If there is a, an easy answer for that, I'm not sure. Well, the, so I can I can certainly imagine Galad is a CISO, so I think that's only a matter of time. <laughs> that's the first part. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's an easy answer again. I think it's most aspects of security, it's, you know, they're hard yards, right? So I think gaining trust and gaining the, the trust of the organization is an important part. Having a consistent message and, and being open and keeping security relevant is, is important as well. So there's times where I feel over the last 12 months, it's been a fairly heightened kind of threat environment. And, you know, there's a lot happening. There's a lot more in the media. And I think people are you know in most organizations they're kind of generally aware they'll pick up on a few news stories you know even if they're not in IT they'll they'll have some sense of it you know hearing about ransomware a bit more or hearing about breaches a bit more but in in larger organizations I think you have to work harder to keep that uh, conversation going and make sure that security is relevant and that people are getting you know understanding these threats and that that's not easy right because most parts of an organization will have their own uh, initial initiatives and they'll have their own deliveries and timeframes and you know when security might make that a little bit slower for them means that the security party organization has to work a bit harder for for them to understand i think though that that's where analytics is helpful to 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 kind of quantify it but also those kind of you know those techniques about around storytelling and explaining uh things in, in a way that lay people 
can will understand and and stories that are you know that they're that they can easily um consume i suppose and that are kind of relevant to them i, I find those techniques uh very helpful but ultimately I, i'd say it's about kind of gaining trust and building trust and and then kind of keeping the conversation relevant and keeping it kind of orientated around certain individuals and departments and teams and keeping that communication up in, in a way that you know is is honest right as well so it's not overstating say security risks or it's not kind of leaning towards food or guys falling or becoming a barrier either either to preventing what the organization needs to do so it can be a little bit of a, a balancing act and then you know i think you know building trust through delivery as well right so when when you have uh, something that's important and you're working with a, a team or a function that you work through those issues and, and you get their objective delivered upon and that they kind of see you as an enabler as well, that you didn't just bring a problem and, and you know, put, put up to close the front door in their face, that you you built some trust with them and, you know, you, you got um, what they needed to do done as well. That's a fascinating insight. I think that I really like what you said that practically a good CISO is a good storyteller and that the awareness and understanding of the threat is a key to success of the whole, uh, not only the CISO, but the whole uh, security department in whatever shape or structure is it. Yeah, because I've, I've seen, you know, times where the threat landscape maybe isn't as um, as frenetic and, you know, it's uh, there's kind of just phishing and the usual kind of malware and and you know most mature organizations are well able to kind of deal with some of those threats and then security kind of takes a back seat right it's you know we're not hearing about it it's it, it, there mustn't be any issues because you know if there were the security team would be telling us about them so i think those times are nearly harder because you have to find a ways to keep security relevant and keep security as a discussion point and explain what you know what is happening and why we can't take our foot off the pedal or why we can't ease controls um, i think that can be equally as as challenging as when there are lots of attacks and incidents and uh, you know things that are in the media as well you know you kind of have to you have to balance um, both kind of scenarios it seems that um, corporations are now understanding uh, gradually, at least a lot more than 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 they did uh, a decade ago, the the risk associated with you know digital opportunities or, or, or digital assets, and and they're taking that into into account in uh, well in the way they allocate resources internally, and and more more and more money is being spent. Uh, every year, regardless of, of verticals in information security. Uh, and, and it seems as well that the general public is understanding um, data privacy, the risk associated with their digital footprint. Yet, we don't see a greater call from individuals from from and consumers uh, from the general public to have, let's say, digitally responsible or cyber responsible organizations. As as we, we hear people complain about fair trade, gender equality, eco-friendly. I mean, a lot of consumers are getting involved in the way corporations are running their business, who they're partnering with, uh, where they're selling their goods, who works for them and how. So why do you think we're not seeing more of such a demand when it comes to, to their data? And could we imagine a world soon where cybersecurity would rather be seen as an asset uh, instead of a cost center and, and people would proudly stamp their product as digital friendly or digitally responsible or any, any such concept? 
I think we're starting to see it, right? So, like, I mean, just a simple example is, um, you know, I've been using Signal now for eight years or more, right? But in the last yeah. two weeks, I don't think I've seen more people join <laughs> Signal yeah. than, than ever before, right? So, so obviously, um, you know, the change in user agreements with WhatsApp has precipitated, you know, uh, uh, people who are, you know, who who at least value some of their privacy to kind of have a look around, right? Um, so I think that side of things is um, is starting to take a, take more of a hold. But I think there's probably some other social and psychological kind of elements at play as well, right? So like uh, a lot of people kind of understand the promise of technology and they understand that it makes their life easier and some respects are happy to make that trade-off around their personal data or have been in the past. Uh, but I think that's that's what's changing. But I think in the security perspective as well, um, you know, I, I think between security and the media probably haven't done a good job at um, maybe explaining uh, some of the incidents and just been maybe too much emphasis on the dramatization of them because uh, I, I feel as well that the public at large is a bit desensitized to a, a data breach now because you know when they hear about one it's yet another one right and and you know until they kind of get that notification letter in their inbox it doesn't mean that much to them right but when they start understanding that oh that data breach uh, where 500 million records were lost I was one of those and this is that email now them tell this this uh, uh, organization tell me that they've lost my data I think they've started to people at an individual level have started to kind of draw the conclusions a bit better about what that means from from a privacy perspective and maybe that free service was not as that trade-off I made with my personal data to avail of a free service was, um, you know, a mistake in retrospect. I've seen, uh, I, I think people are just at the early stage of kind of understanding that interplay between technology and their own data and how it's used. Uh, and it's not a, you know, it's a pretty complicated ecosystem as well. Like, I mean, if you, if you ever kind of look at, you know, how advertising is done and how uh, advertisement organizations bid for what ad gets shown in front of you like that that's not that's not easy for most people who aren't involved in technology to understand and and you know those types of scenarios where clearinghouse might hold 2000 data points on you people you know generally don't know that that's that's happening but i think they're becoming more aware and a bit more conscious of that there's clearly a desensitization of people uh, um, and they're here massive numbers and it's almost meaningless now uh, mm. when it comes to breaches. But but I'm, I'm hopeful that someone, someone at some point, and, and maybe it will come from from the people who, uh, who manage your money because that's uh, probably uh, what people are more concerned with. But uh, maybe maybe a bank one day will do a, a, an ad campaign about uh, um, cybersecurity as a competitive advantage over uh, uh, its neighbor across the road. <laughs> I think that, that yeah. may happen. A statement that I always hear, right, is that privacy in an online world is dead, right? But at the same time, you know, I've, I've seen some very um, authoritative people talk about uh, technology doesn't kill privacy. It just redefines that kind of social contract with, with the consumer. And, and you know, I think I think that is the case, right? So, you know, with the cam the first camera ever, you know, people were saying privacy is dead. But, but we did move on and we still had some level of privacy after that. And I, I think technology is kind of something that um you know constantly redefines uh what privacy means right but but i'd be interested in both of your thoughts on that i kind of hear more and more people 
around me, not only from the industry, but also friends and family that kind of refer to privacy the same way that uh, you've, you've just defined about, you know, just redefining uh, privacy together with technology enhancements and uh, advantages and the way that we uh, leverage technology. So many people would say would refer it as a trade-off at the end of the day. You are paying for some services with, with data and uh, of course that you are keen to understand how this data is used or Maybe it's manipulated, maybe, maybe it is uh, being abused in, in some way or another, but as long as it's being uh, shared or leveraged for causes that do not harm you in, in one way or, or another. So most people that I know, at least, uh, find it okay and uh, find this trade-off kind of fair. I wonder how would the next technology developments, where would they take us? Because uh, there will always be an example of a specific company or a product that was caught, you know, abusing uh, data privacy or personal information. And it would, of course, me make a huge mess and uh, lots of uh, media attention. And uh, it would affect the people, the people's way of thinking about data privacy. But as long as the majority of organizations and products and, and technology services that we're using would, you know, respect the basic rules or the basic understanding and decency between people. Uh, I think that most people understand the advantages. This is how I see it. When that trade-off is visible, right? Like it's when you think you've got a free product, but you don't understand after, you only understand afterwards that you're actually product. I think that's when people get frustrated and annoyed and lose faith in technology providers. Yeah. That shift actually happened uh, in in within media already. I think 20 years ago, it was very obvious for people to turn on their TVs at a specific time and consume an incredible amount of uh, advertising. And after a while, the, the, the cost was too much and, and people accepted the fact that they would pay a subscription fee and, and Netflix and all streaming services started. So uh, we, we can imagine a lot of people renting their, their laptops and, and phones ecosystem and paying a fee every month to have absolute uh, uh, absolute privacy or at least no monetization of, of uh, their data in any way. And, and gradually, um, I wouldn't be surprised if people like, were willing to pay uh, quite a bit of money for that. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I would agree with that. People are starting to become more aware of how their data is used. And if they are offered a solution that, you know, a subscription or paid for a solution that alleviates their concerns, I think there is a, a market there to, to pay for it. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind, it's not a personal question, but it's based on my understanding of your personal interest. I think you, you, you have a, a... Uh, an, an interest in artificial uh, intelligence. I was wondering where where do you see artificial intelligence most promising applications in in cybersecurity? You know, I, I think we've we've seen a lot of. I suppose the one that worries me, right, is, is more on the attack side, right? So I've seen simple, you know, Jupyter notebooks that are capable of reading OCR and kind of building a, a, a simple machine learning model that's capable of deciphering, you know, captures and things like that. So that that, that kind of worries. Me me that four or five lines of python you're able to bypass something that you know for 10 years was a, a, a great defense against an automated attack right or an automated web app attack so so the offensive side 
does worry me. Similarly with deep fakes, and I've you know not overly pre- uh, heard too many examples of this, but I have heard of at least one where, based on kind of a CEO and a CFO's kind of public statements, that they were able to train a, a deep learning model or deep fake to conduct a phishing attack. And I can see that being very believable by people, particularly you know in this in the next five years. And and I, I worry about the defenses against some of those types of attacks, and and particularly if you know they're incorporated in. To, to, to botnets and you know some degree of automation I think they, they will be successful to a large degree on the kind of defensive side it's interesting to me you know kind of oscillate between security solutions will will be able to maybe be a bit better at detecting anomalies and you know just there's ample products out there that will do that versus cause security teams and IT teams as a whole to think a bit better about you know incidents and and, and uh, issues before they become something that an attacker can leverage. I, I would love to see instead of just maybe anomaly detection and blocking that there's some degree of automation around kind of that life cycle and that that I, I think in the early stages it's absolutely going to be something that's going to require a human but but then I think of things like you know vulnerability management and patch management and how that could probably be done a lot more seamlessly and a lot more kind of done in a lot more of an automated fashion but still you know do some of those things that you know different verticals need to do around change management and um you know compliance requirements and things like that and maybe take some of the burden away from security teams and, and it operations teams even though i've spent a few years in it you know right now it seems to me that the technology is certainly capable of doing something that it, it takes maybe two to three seconds for a human to do. I think the the, the bigger uh, benefits as it applies to security, you know, the technology would need to maybe be capable of doing something that a human would do in one or two minutes. And I think if we get to that stage, there'll be huge benefits for security teams. That's very interesting. And definitely just to make just to make your note, I, I definitely agree that we're going to cope a lot with uh, deep fake in, in the next uh, month and years for sure. Uh, we're seeing it uh, more and more and it's becoming uh, more advanced uh, as time goes by. It would be very interesting to see how uh, organizations will, will cope with this uh, increasing threat. And maybe to connect it to one of your uh, previous insights, uh, it, it begins with awareness and, and uh, knowledge and understanding of the threat. Yeah, it's already kind of, I suppose, disturbing to me to a degree that the really organized and uh, more sophisticated threat actors do kind of things like compromise more organizations through phishing email than they can really monetize. And they do kind of a cost benefit analysis to decide which ones they will, that might actually pay a ransom. So if you kind of put some technologies like deep learning or some kind of model around things like that, then it, it becomes a lot more effective attack crash and, and I think that's probably something that we'll see like you mentioned with deep learning I think we're going to see more effective attacks in the in the immediate term definitely Tony it was very interesting we covered so much ground today I couldn't believe we will speak both about being a CISO coping with uh, deep fake and even speaking about privacy and a TV subscription I just want more that's all thank you Tony and thank you for your time and uh, uh, and being so so open-minded and uh, open-minded sorry and honest with, uh, with us today no problem thank you thanks a lot Tony
Thank you all for listening. We very much appreciate you taking the time and would love to hear your feedback and comments. We are not professionals, so please help us get better.